are about to listen to the Tacoma Country and Golf Club podcast, inspiring stories from the club since 1894. Today is September 20th, and I'm with Kevin Jones, member since 2012 and former director of handicapping and course rating for Wall Golf. Tell us about yourself, Kevin. Certainly appreciate the opportunity to be here. Um, so, kind of grew up in Oregon, outside of Portland. Um, I was in the Beaverton area. Um, grew up there and then moved up to the Washington area after my grad school where I met my wife-to-be. Um, so that's kind of why I'm in the Washington area and have been since the, basically 18 years old. Um, got grad school where? At uh, Gonzaga University. Got my bachelor at Oregon State University, um, all in business. Um, had a love of golf. Um, did you golf in college? I did not. So I started golf at age 11. Um, loved it in high school, but while I was a decent player, I didn't really feel the urge to get into the collegiate part of it. But how about high school? I varsityed every four years, all my four years of high school. Oh, nice. So that was nice to letter every year. Um, and in, honestly, high school golf was probably the most fun thing I did in high school. Um, <laughs> I love the camaraderie with the, the guys. Yeah. Um, I love getting off school early to go play golf. Nice. Um, but it was just a fun time. And while our team wasn't great, um, just to be able to be in that kind of an environment, which I, I imagine college golf would be very similar, mm-hmm. it was nice to experience it at one point or another. Did you guys go very far out of your school not district? Often. Yeah, but not very often. Um, probably the furthest we drove was an hour to a, for oh, a okay. match. Um, but we played a lot of good golf. Um, probably a lot of people are familiar with Pumpkin Ridge and mm-hmm. things like that. So, Oh, so you got to play that in high school? Yes. Nice. So that was part of our league. One of the schools had access to there and a few mm-hmm. other good courses like the Reserve um, for people who are familiar with Westside Portland Golf. Um, um, then also a little bit of Rock Creek Country Club, which is where I grew up. My parents were a member, so I played a lot of golf. I started basically public golf out of Progress Ridge and then which is now Redtail. I grew up there playing a lot and then my kids my parents became a member of Rocky Country Club and spent the majority of my my junior days there um, before I kind of went off to college and actually kind of took a break from golf in college um, before I kind of got reinvigorated um, on the playing side but also understanding more about what's going on in golf administration which I We'll get into probably that done a lot with my career um, mm-hmm. and got an internship with the Oregon Golf Association, um, working back with Oregon Junior Golf, which I competed a lot when I was a junior and uh, really in love that experience, which kind of put me into what I thought was going to be my dream career and kind of go down that path. And it was though, it was, there's no doubt about it. Um, I had my set eyes on what my dream career was. Mm-hmm. I honestly had one job in particular in the whole world and I achieved it. <laughs> Not a lot of people can say that, yeah. um, but I will also say that I got to that point and realized that it didn't work out like I thought it was. And you, uh-huh. you, you which is disappointing. Yeah. Um, but I also know that in life you you end up where you're supposed to end up. And oh. so I'm you know, I'm a full fledged financial advisor now, I've been doing the last three years and love every minute of it and mm-hmm. what it gives and the income and everything else. But I do appreciate the years I did work in golf because it took me not just with Washington, but I did work for the Oregon Golf Association and the Louisiana Golf Association, which while three years was a lot of fun down there um, and the experiences I had and the manager I was under, um, but I also realized that Louisiana is not like Washington or mm-hmm. a lot of other parts of this country. And um, But it was a, I would say my for my wife and I, it was a nice, it was a cool, unique life experience um, to be able to do that. But I also learned a lot about the industry and be able to take it back and eventually get back into the industry with Oregon and Washington and had a lot of great experiences from that as well so you said born in oregon went to gonzaga washington then all of a sudden you say louisiana yeah so uh graduated with my mba came back over to the west side i ended up working for boeing briefly because i didn't know what i wanted i wanted golf problem is at that time there was not a lot of jobs in the whole country we're Uh, talking uh, early 90s probably yeah this is um let's see here 2005 Right. But even at 2005, there's probably less than a thousand jobs in the entire golf administration 
And keep in mind, this is not the professional side. This is strictly the amateur side of the game. Mm-hmm. We're, they're basically the governing bodies. You have the big USGA at top that we all know about. But underneath that, you have all of these state and regional golf associations that are licensed by the USGA. And the primary thing is to provide handicapping services and all of them to provide those championships. At the, that's why golf associations were originally created. Mm-hmm. Now, golf associations have expanded well beyond that into um, offering other benefits and services that we have seen as all of us as being a member of TCGC are members of WA Golf, and there's a lot of benefits involved there, but um, at the core of their services will always be handicapping and championships. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, to be able to do all of that and kind of come together at different golf associations was cool, but um, yeah, it was a unique experience. So handicapping, Talk to me like I'm a 10-year-old. <laughs> what do you do when you're a handicap? Is it just called a handicapper? Yeah, you're, I mean, <laughs> it's not really a handicapper, but you have a handicap. Um, and, yeah, this is not horse racing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, golf's a unique game because they wanted to create a system. Um, Dean Knuth is the originator of the handicap system. Um, he uh, created it back in the 80s. And... He had this idea. Wait, wait, I got to stop you. Go there ahead. were no handicaps before the 80s? That is correct. Holy. There was always unique systems. And I know with like Tacoma, we have our bogey. You see those on some of the signs. I do you understand it? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> not, not greatly, but I do know it originates back from when golf started back in uh, Great Britain and mm-hmm. Scotland and all that. Um, there was quasi city um, systems of handicapping yeah but the system that we kind of know in today really didn't start until the 80s and it has greatly morphed over that time to what we are today with the U- the world handicap system um, but it really was founded in the mid 80s so I mean what I will say from the handicap system that people should all know, and um, I've talked to many people like yourself, mm-hmm. is that I think there's a misconception about what handicapping is cement to mean to people uh-huh. and what is and what the number represents, and that it is it is not an average of your scores. And I think a lot of people think that because they get frustrated, and I play with them, plenty of golfers who get frustrated to say that, oh shoot, I didn't shoot my handicap. Well. The reality is, is that the system is designed to represent your potential. Oh, it is not, not an average. No. So the system right now takes eight, the, the eight best differentials, which we can get into differentials. That's a whole other topic. Mm-hmm. But of, tw- of 20 and, and showing the representing of your strength against those score of those golf courses. So it's eight of 20. It's looking at only the best. Mm-hmm. And because of that, when you actually start breaking the numbers down... You should only shoot your handicap 20 to 25% of the time. Mm-hmm. So one out it of It shouldn't four. be 50% no, like an average. No, so one you. out of four, one out of five. So yeah, you can kick yourself all day long, but the reality is is that you should only be shooting it every once in a while. Yeah. And, um, and I hope people recognize that it's not an average. And um, the way that your handicap is going to go down or up is because you're going to be shooting well beyond that because mm-hmm. you're creating different... Um, largely different differentials on either side of your handicap index and that's what's going to move the bar so if somebody says well i shot way over my handicap i don't want to post it they should post it they should always post it always post it the only situation you would not post it is if you played by yourself and that actually was a change in the system when the world handicap system came out um i don't know now five six seven years ago um, but the reality is, is that all post scores should be in there, good or bad, mm-hmm. um, because we're all going to have good days and we're all going to have bad days. And yeah. you know what? You know, you may be in a handicapping event. Somebody goes super low and they had a career day. Career days are not often, but they do happen. Um, and even the system will correct for that. For people who have exceptional days, yeah. you will, your handicap is going to come down even more so because of that. But just keep in mind, the system is designed to handle those situations and they'll be, you know, you'll see it accordingly. Yeah. Okay. And then your job with WA Golf was to go to a course, right? Yep. Go ahead and finish my sentence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So beyond handicapping, which I managed with WA Golf and, you know, your gen app and all that, I managed all those systems is, is course ratings because they are two systems that are mirrored together. You cannot have course rating. I mean, you can't have handicapping without 
course rating. Because not every course is the same difficulty or... You got it. Yeah. So as everybody knows that if you step on any tee, they're going to be a rating and a slope. Mm -hmm. And I recognize that a lot of people focus heavily on the slope number, but both numbers should be well represented. And so what it is, is that those numbers are created by when we rate a golf course, we are looking at the scratch golfer. So somebody who has a handicap of zero and somebody that has a handicap, a bogey golfer of basically 18. Mm -hmm. And we are rating based on both of those golfers at the same time. When we're driving down, we're at the tee box, we're driving down the fairway, working our way to the green. We are looking at all of these obstacles and distances to determine how difficult every hole is from each set of tees to determine these numbers. What is a rating for a scratch golfer and what is a rating for a bogey golfer? So when you say we, how many people are going down this one hole? Yeah, good question. When I was it? doing it, we would have teams anywhere from four to 12. Um, on one hole? No, not on one hole. Just kind of spread out on the course? Yes, correct. Depending on um, the amount of volunteers I had that day or the complexity of the golf course, um, typically we would maybe do a front nine, back nine, um, then we maybe one person would do one tee, maybe somebody would do an, a couple of tees. It just depend on one, you know, the strength of the Raiders, do they have a bunch of experienced yeah, Raiders, novice Raiders, because the reality is, is that you're not going to split up a golf course too much unless everybody's on the same page and we're all rating the same way. Seems like, like, uh, referees of like football games, like they know each other and stuff like that. It's kind of like that with Raiders. Have you ever seen anybody get in an argument? No. Uh, well, yes and no. <laughs> I think, honestly, the, the best banter is not usually on the golf course. It's actually after the golf course because at that point, we are then um, collectively, you know, we're having lunch, but we're also reviewing our records before we officially turn them oh, in. as you should. And right? we should be. And then at that point, there's usually some friendly conversation about what we saw. Now, if the, comp, if the com, uh, situation's more complex, certainly we would hash it out there, especially if there's a perspective that we need to look, or even me as basically the captain of the team may even be pulled over to for advisement mm -hmm. because the situation was unique enough to say is, oh, is there an adjustment here? Are we looking at this correctly? Maybe should we be looking at it differently? Um, those happen from time to time, but only in special circumstances because most golf courses are pretty straightforward. Um, and when there's less water, less bunkers, less other things and obstacles in general out there, you're going to be moving down the fairway pretty quickly. Okay. So that's what I was going to say was what, what is the most important thing on a golf course when you're rating it? It's I hear length. Yep. I hear the size of the green. Yep. So go yep. ahead. So, the number one determining factor of a rating and slope is, is distance. It always will be because the longer the hole is, a scratch golfer is going to have a lot easier time navigating that golf course than a bogey golfer. That is just a statistical fact. Mm -hmm. So length will always be number one. But the second thing that is most important that gets tripped people up is not the obstacles. It actually is the size of the green. It is. <laughs> it is. Yeah, and it is. And the reason for it is because a lot of other obstacles, um, bunkers, um, uh, water, water, all these things that make up actually are using the number of the, it's called a green target. And it's depending on the basic dimensions of the green. Uh, there is a table that will create a statistical number tied to that. And that statistical number will actually be translated in the book to other tables for those other obstacles. So it is the basis for creating the other numbers of those obstacles in terms of difficulty. And the number one reason why that is that if you have a big green, it means that the golfer should have an easier time of hitting that green. Makes sense. And so because of that, that's gonna drive all the other numbers down. Um, the smaller green means it's a harder target hit, which means that all the other selves become more magnified. Mm -hmm. um, and so for the reason for that, is that if a green starts getting bigger across the golf course, then the reality is, is that the rating is going to start coming down dramatically. Yeah. And I will say that over the last few years, our greens have been getting bigger. Been getting and bigger. we all know that. Yes. We see all the mow lines and out there. And I, what I would say is that I think a lot of people think that our, our handicaps don't translate well. Um, I would imagine that the rating and slope of our golf course, probably I'm the last person to sign off on it, so I'll take credit for it. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's been redone since I've left the association. And when was this? 
the last time I rated the golf course was, I believe, 2018. So the reality is, is that there's been a lot of changes. There has been a lot of changes. I know that they've been cooperation with the golf association, a lot of former colleagues that I've had, but I don't know if Wall Golf has done a re-rating. So if anybody was to look at the official document, mm-hmm. most likely my signature is on it. Okay. But what I would say is because of all the changes, I know a lot of trees have come out. The reality is for the amount of trees that have come out, not going to affect the rating that much. Really? Even like on five? No. I'm no. trying to think of other places. No, <laughs> no I, I really don't see it um, because the reality is the trees are what the trees are. Um, there are obviously, you know, we're talking about other trees coming down and creating shoot situations where you have very narrow, like back tees on nine, very common example and things like that, which will always still going to play its part in there. But even if a, a point or two is adjusted for trees, the overall effect that trees were going to have on that overall rate is not going to amount to much. Not that much. So what I would say is because the greens have definitely dramatically gotten bigger over mm-hmm. the last five years, and we all know that, um, if I had to, to say something, I would say that the green the, the rating is going to come down the next time. The only caveat to that would be the next major category is rough and recoverability. And I think there's been a like lot... Like rough, you're saying off the fairway rough. That's correct. And I think, obviously, there's been a lot of chatter about that. Recoverability. We, I like that. Yes. <laughs> so I think a lot of people realize that we have seen it, especially like when the U.S. Open sectionals mm-hmm. were here. The rough was up. And yeah. was the golf course brutal? Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. It absolutely was. So <laughs> I, what I would be curious to know is that when the golf course is re-rated... I believe we were working with an inch and a half, which is a very common height for, for golf. But as soon as you raise it another half an inch to two, mm. two inches and above, um, golf courses become extremely difficult. We all seen that. Yeah. And because of that, also it's going to have a raise, it's going to raise rates on a, on a course rating as well. Mm-hmm. So what I could see potentially happening is, is that the bigger greens will lower a rating but if we choose as a golf course to have higher rough, it probably is going to offset a lot of those changes. But once again, it's determining when they come here to actually do their rating, what is going to be determined the standard rate from our, from our superintendent team. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that would be because I think I've seen the rough has very greatly here in the last 12 months. Yeah. And so I don't know what's going to be that final determination because that's going to play a huge effect in what the new rating will end up being. So what I'm getting from all that is there's a lot of numbers. Yes. <laughs> but it's the length, the size of the green, the rough, and my fa- new favorite word, recoverability. Yep. I'm not hearing much about traps because that's like my, the bane of my existence yeah. in golf. I mean, bunkers is a category. Yeah. But it is not a huge part of what goes into a rating. It is a part of it. And I also will say, once again, that the green target is going to put, is going to have a huge piece of what those end up being. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there's a couple adjustments here and there of carries and how much they surround a green. They will actually, yeah. and in depth. Surround a green, yeah. And depth is a big thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all oh, know that. Oh, for sure. 18 green side. I mean, there, there's a reason there's stairs there. I mean, we're, we're walking down there and you can't see the green. Yeah, yeah. So are you going to get a couple adjustments in the system point-wise that yeah. will raise a rate? Yes. Yeah. But problem is it's one hole. That's a good point. So it's one of 18 and it's not going to have that big of an effect, but it will have a minor effect towards it. Other than that trap. So before I start murdering the vocabulary, what's the difference between a trap and a bunker? I know it sounds silly. Uh, well, they're one and the same. Um, they really are. Um, well, also when things, things like waters and all that, they're all technically penalty areas now. Um, that's all for the new rules of golf. So if I'm in a bunker, that's called a penalty no, area? No, it's not a, that's still a bunker. Okay. But anything outside of that, like uh, a water hazard, used to be called a water hazard, is now a penalty area. When did that change? That changed with the new rules of golf that came out in, what was that, six years ago? Oh, okay. Or five years ago. Mm-hmm. So... Um, but I mean, the major things that we look at are distance, size of greens, bunkers. Oh, so uh, bunkers is it? Yep. Uh, certainly penalty areas. Uh, let's see here. What else? We look at uh, out of bounds is its own category. 
Um, actually, out of bounds and extreme rough are their own categories because there are plenty of golf courses they don't have out of bounds, but there's hay and you're you never going to find the ball. You're never going to find your ball. Give me uh, an example of the closest courses to TCGC. Um, well, at one time, the home course had a lot of hay off their fairways. Yeah. Um, and they've also, cut it down a little bit. Yeah, they have cut it down. But, uh, oh, another great example is uh, Salish Cliffs. Oh, yes. You get off the fairway and you get <laughs> off the short rough. Yeah. You're in the hay, which is not out of bounds, but good luck finding good luck your golf finding ball. It, yeah. So that's definitely its own category. Um, uh, uh, sorry, uh, green surface. Um, so that's another. That is about speed. Now, mm. the funny thing is that... I mean, Tacoma has some of the best greens I've ever seen on earth. Yeah. And, and you've probably seen how many golf courses? I've seen probably 200 golf courses in the state of Washington. Yeah. So, and anybody that I talk to about all the golf courses I've rated ever, and including when I did work with the USGA and going to calibration seminars to learn my skills better and going to other parts of the country, I'll admit that Tacoma's greens are about as good as they come. And I know um, from that standpoint, from, for also from that, when it comes to course rating, um, based on the average step meter, the step meter actually maxes out at 11, 12. Mm-hmm. Well, we all know that our greens typically are Over much that. faster. Yeah. So the reality is that we've actually maxed the table out. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people would argue that our greens should be even higher. There should be more accountability for the rating system. Yeah. And I kind of wonder if there should be. But I will also say that when the summertime, when our greens are running 12, 5, 13, 14, when the MGI yeah. cap and all those things, I will also know that that's, that is very uncommon in the, in the golf course industry because you stress the greens so out, they're not sustainable. Yeah. So that's why the golf rating system max out at that. And so for everything that we could get out of that piece of it from the rating to raise it up is completely already been maxed out. Okay. What about the greens? It's called a turtle shell. Is that what it's called? Where it's like a big hump. You know those uh, ones? Yeah, they're domed. Um, does that put anything into no, the it doesn't. culture? No. Well, the only thing it does is actually it would shrink the green target. So any part of the green that actually would have a shelf or a false a shelf. front. Okay. Or a false front. We all know those terms. Yeah. Where a ball would physically never stay on it. We would actually, when we're measuring the actual dimension of the green to determine that green target, would not be factored in. Hmm. But a lot of our greens That's don't strange. have that. Um, well, yeah. our greens don't, but we've been to places. No, you have been. And I'll mention that our neighbor, Furcrest, has a lot of that. Yeah, they do. So there's a lot of spots where a ball would fall off the green. We would never even include that as part of wow, the green Wow, that seems strange. So it makes their green targets even smaller, which is going to drive up the rating. Okay, so there is a little bit of that. I get it now. Okay, yeah, because it's now your your it's target golf, mm-hmm. um, and that's going to drive it up. And the reality is, Tacoma is an open golf course, and yeah. it's just not going to be a golf course that, despite our perfect conditions and even with taking on things, the golf the rating is never going to be high. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would also say that if the, if you want to drive our rating up, if that's what the members want, the only way that's going to happen is going to happen through the rough. Really? Yeah. Because we have tipped out a lot of things, like one, Yep. 12. And I know that when some of the newer tee boxes were created, um, before the recent changes on one and 12, um, I personally remeasured the golf course that's tipped out at 69 and change, 50, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I did all of that. I did all the GPS measuring of that. Now, with the new extra boxes, obviously it's going to push it over 7,000. But what I also know is that the golf course has been increased in yards by probably what, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 yards. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do know is that if it's still true, and this is obviously before the changes were made, um, that for every 18 yards, um, or was it 22 yards? <laughs> it's been a while. That for every 22 yards, that, that's a 0.1 uptick in the course rating. So that's how much it takes. So if you want to if you want to move a golf course one full stroke on the rating, move it eighteen or twenty. Yeah, yards. you're going to take about two hundred yards to get there. Whoa, that's significant. It's yeah, significant. yeah, that's a lot. It's a lot. So, so just so you know that the, you know the rating is strictly for the scratch golfer. So don't think about par because a rating on a golf course seventy one point zero, par seventy two means the scratch golfer if they want to shoot their handicap needs to shoot one under par. One under, yeah. But then the slope 
is a determination, basically X and Y axis. We're going back to school here. Yeah. That if you were to plot the uh, scratch rating and the bogey rating, and nobody sees the bogey rating, we don't publish that, but it is a known number. Then you're you're literally drawing a line linear line through that on a graph. Yeah. And based on the rise and run, if we're gonna go back to school, yeah. that's how slope is determined. And oh. so slope can go anywhere from I forgot how low it can go. Like I think it goes as low as 80. Standard rate uh sl standard slope is 113, which means it's just That's an average golf. It's course. just an average boring normal slope most slopes are higher than that I was because there's say, greater yeah. difficulties out there with obstacles but a slope can go no higher than 155 whoa and what's the highest you've ever rated a golf uh um, and which golf course of course gosh now you're gonna rack my brain here well let's um, let's take a drink as you're thinking about that's it. right yeah this but is... I, I would say the highest i believe was 151 in the state of washington um and I don't remember if it was Snoqualmie. Um, like when it was TPC Snoqualmie? Yeah, Down. I don't remember. It was, yeah, or if it was Aldera. I don't remember. I, I remember it being a golf course up there. Um, because of the length and the severity of what was going on of it, it was 151 from the tips. Mm -hmm. um, but that was the highest slope number I've ever seen in Washington in all the golf courses I've done. Have you played... That course from the tips? Uh, no. Too <laughs> It no. seems like a no, piece. I yeah. don't try That's not go. fun. It's not fun for me. I'd rather be mid-6,000s. Because okay. I want to be challenged, but I also want to appreciate the golf course. But yeah, and not want to break your clubs. No, and <laughs> I, the only reason I would be doing it now is that um, I am a Raider for Golf Digest still. Yeah. Um, and I was able to get on that while I was part of the association. And they want you to play from the tips. They don't want you to play oh, from really? the tips. Oh, really? You're going to max yourself off. I remember playing Trump National Doral. Um, Where's and, that? And that's down in Miami. Okay. Um, and a lot of people know there's an old PGA Tour event there. And the Blue Monster, it's called. And it's a fun golf course. But The whole course is called the Blue Monster? Yes. Well, the, the 18th hole is really truly called the Blue Monster, but kind of the generic Can you give name. me why? why? Uh, I'm guessing water. Yeah, well, the, the 18th hole is water all the way down the left-hand side, about a 450-yard hole. And then the second shot is over water as well to an angled green that um, if you go left, anything, the ball's going to go in the water. And you yeah. have to really hug the right side mm -hmm. um, to play it well. But The last hole of the course? The last hole of the golf course. <laughs> but the course is amazing and it's very difficult. Yeah. But to play over 7,000 yards on those kind of conditions, um, I'll admit that not for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can get it. All right. And... So you said 113 is the average? That is the average slope. Can you give me a course from around here that would be 113? Boy, that's a good question. I always think of like, I always thought Spanaway was kind of like right in the middle of difficulties. Like some are a little easier. That uh, If I had to check, uh, Spanaway probably um, from a lesser T in terms yeah. of yardage probably is skirting around that number okay but uh -huh. i without actually checking out but you would need a pretty mundane golf course um yeah actually um riverside down in shahala uh, shahalas okay um very straightforward golf course it really only thing travel it has is trees mm -hmm. it has a little bit out of bounds because you're off property but that's a golf course that's just straight out in front of you yeah my guess is that the slope number is probably near that number now, golf has gone up and down in popularity. Is there a golf course that you uh, miss? Like, oh, man, that one's gone. I think La Poma Furs is no longer. That's correct. Is, is there anything like that where you're like, man, that was a really good track. I wish it was still around. Um, nothing you miss too much? No, there's nothing I've missed. Certainly, there's a lot of golf courses in the span away that have been sold off or are now residences. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there was Brookdale that's got sold off. Tanwax. Um, Tanwax, yeah, that's an old one. Uh, how about um, the golf course that was right next to the airport? Um, 
Tai. Tai. Oh my good, goodness! Good. How did I know that? That was that's great. Right? <laughs> um, they were all shut down. Yeah. Um, now were they amazing golf courses? No, but <laughs> I mean, let's face it, land is expensive these days. Yeah. And I recognize that they sold them off for various reasons, but I still, in the state of Washington, we have good golf, mm-hmm. um, and there's great golf to go get, and there's still some things being developed, and um, it's not. Are there's like golf courses being developed right now that I don't know about. Uh, well, the only one that I know of is um, the second golf course at Gamble, Gamble Sands. Yeah, that's the one everybody's waiting for. Of course, right? yeah. <laughs> and Gamble Sands is by far my favorite golf course in the whole state. Wow. Um, I and I because what I love, you know, from a course rating perspective, mm-hmm. I love a golf course that's going to have allow people to have fun. That's why we play the game that's in the right. first place. That's a good point. And um, the generous fairways, beautiful golf course, great fairways, greens. And a lot of allure from strategic golf, but also things to look at. Yeah. You're, always, you're never bored looking at that golf course. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, why I, I put it so high on my rating list, because it is just so much fun to play. And yeah. if you need a confidence booster, you just want to just enjoy the game for what it is. Mm-hmm. I highly encourage if you haven't been there, that's the place to go. And by the time they've developed that second golf course, it's yeah. going to be a treat to actually go every single time. Uh, I try and tell my wife and myself this when we're having a bad, because we're, you know, 18 to 25 handicap, having a bad time. I would say, hey, let's look up and look where we are. You know what I mean? Like, enjoy where we are. Like, oh, yeah, we're not just staring down here. Look around. And Gamble's the perfect place for that. Chambers, too, which to me is pretty difficult. It is. I look around and go, okay, let's just... Take this in, especially if you're paying $300. Yeah, the problem with Chambers <laughs> is that it's a great golf course, and I love what they did with the greens. It was the right move, uh-huh. and I know the What US, did they do? Well, they changed it from fescue to poa. So they just totally changed the grass. Yeah, and the reason they did is because the USGA told them to. So if you do that, do you need to rip the grass out, or do you just kind of plant in new grass well, in this and let case, it take they over. actually ripped it out and actually plant and put they didn't plant it they actually physically put the poe in that's the best way to do it isn't it it can be because it can be. takes time yeah yeah and I mean, they were like we don't yeah. have time i mean we're very fortunate because our greens are so old they've been around forever yeah um and so they they do what they do that's why we're so lucky because greens like that have this is where things that aging is good Mm-hmm. Um, and our poa is amazing, and a lot of other roots do, and grasses don't mix in there. It does. Yeah. I mean, it happens naturally. Um, but you see a golf course like the home course, it started as bent. Now you look at that golf course, it's a hodgepodge because the poa naturally it's an invasive green a grass. Yeah. So now you have a mix there. So they're allowing the poa just to naturally take over. How did the poa get there? Shoes. Oh, really? Well, not like shoes, <laughs> but it's um, honestly, it's just... It, it from the air it blows yeah. it wow so uh but yeah actually the funniest story is um when i was with the louisiana golf association i was rating a golf course that actually doesn't exist anymore uh-huh. it was actually sherwood country club i'm not sherwood sorry shreveport country club uh-huh. um actually famous home to hal sutton uh, a lot of people know him old golfer from way back when uh, that was his home golf course and they Oddly enough, were had bent greens. The problem with bent greens in in the South is that it is so hot and so humid, bent cannot survive. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I knew a guy down there that was an amazing superintendent that at 86 degrees or above, bent grass will die. And so what was interesting is that they had to take extreme means to actually protect those greens during the summer. But the problem was is that what's a predominant grass down there? Well, it's Bermuda. Yeah. And Bermuda is a very coarse, thick, nasty grass down there. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is that the seeds from it will actually stick on your shoe. And people would walk across the greens not knowing it. It's on their oh, shoe. Oh, yeah. And it was the funniest thing because you would look at their green. It's this beautiful bent grass. And then it looked like the golf course had warts. Yeah. Because it was these little nasty, spots. nasty little suckers. Like, yeah. like an octopus. <laughs> All over green is like what in the world? Yeah. But you know, it just it happens depending on the grasses you're using. And you only went to Louisiana for golf, right? You saw I went, that? I went there. Yeah, okay. I was an you opportunity. Kind of skipped over that. Yeah, yeah, but it was after Boeing. I wanted to get in the golf association. Some opportunities didn't work out, but the guy down there, the ED, offered me an opportunity, and I jumped on it to learn the business. Mm-hmm. And it was cool because it was a jack of all trades. 
Uh, I did everything from handicapping to their website to championships to uh, course rating to marketing to membership. Wow. I did it all, and it was a blast. Yeah, I had so much fun there. The guy I worked with, um, literally the best leader I've ever worked for. Wow. He's this amazing guy to bring me up, and I wish it was different circumstances. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Like, he wanted me to take over down there, but um, the reality is my family and all you know, the Northwest was our home. Well, also you love spicy food. So Louisiana. Yeah. I had my time. <laughs> I enjoyed my time with the jambalaya and the crawfish etouffee and all that. But oh, nice. if that was the case, I'd be 300 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for people who don't like golf. This is yeah. golf heavy, which this is, this is what we're talking about. So for me, you know, I'm a pretty good putter. So greens, I'm not too worried about. For me, it's how narrow the fairway is and even how narrow the uh, the rough is. Because some places, I think they call it resort golf. Yeah. Where like every hole is one on its own, right? Yep. So what's the narrowest course you've ever rated? The, or played, let's say, let's say both. Uh, so the narrowest golf course I've ever played was a long time ago um, at Skamania Lodge, which is in Washington. Um, they uh, Whereabouts? Uh, let's see here. About... 30 minutes east of Portland. Um, everybody kind of, I think, knows where the Bridge of Gods is. That's mm-hmm. on the Pacific Coast Trail. Um, and it's a beautiful lodge. But at the time, the golf course doesn't really exist in its true form anymore. Um, but it was the most tree-lined golf course ever played. And you literally could not leave the fairway or the ball was gone, gone. in the trees, in the forest. And uh, you literally had to kind of resort to just hitting irons off the tree. Yeah, yeah. Because you're... Uh, Losing a dozen, every time. losing a dozen golf balls was not out of the question. <laughs> so it was the tightest golf course I had ever played. They have since remodeled that golf course into kind of a, a nine-hole par three course. Now. Oh. So they've taken away the glory of what that was, but yeah. it was by far the, the stretches. Uh, uh, beyond that, uh, Sahali still has teeth. Yeah, There's no doubt about it. You guys, you guys laced them down there, but I will admit that... Skamania Golf Course at the time was even tighter than, than Sahali. Oh. Well, we're going to keep on going with some more golf. We're going to do the back nine press. We always start with your favorite hole and why. At TCGC, of course. Okay. So my favorite hole is actually number one. Oh. Um, I don't think it's a common answer, but I believe <laughs> that is a that is a legit challenging opening hole you'll find in golf Mm -hmm. um especially from the blues or the blacks you one you you have trees to contend with Mm -hmm. you've got to lace it out there it's not a short hole by any means but the hole is truly defined by its second shot that green and the bunkers surrounded are very narrow um and you've got to put the ball in knowing that the complexity of that green how much it is sloped Mm -hmm. and depending on the, the hole placement um, from the, right off the get-go, you better bring your A game to Tacoma yeah. or you're going to end up with a bogey or a double bogey right off the right bat. Right at the gate. And yeah. for that very reason, it, the hole is just strategically so well designed yeah. um, that I kind of wish Tacoma had a few other par fours like that because I don't <laughs> feel like they're as well designed as that. Yeah. But I feel like that is one of the better par fours that we've got. Okay. Yeah. How about when it comes to par fives? Par fives, uh, my favorite par five, uh, you know, it probably is 11. Mm-hmm. I like 11 because it starts with the drive. If you hit a bad drive, there's not even thinking about the green. Uh, um, uh, and yeah. even with the green, because of the tree and the bunkers, you still got to lace one in there. Mm-hmm. Um, You're talking about the tree that's like 50 uh, yeah, yards covering, Yeah, that's near the green. That it, From that perspective, there's still strategic aspects to that golf hole mm-hmm. um why um i feel like the other par threes and i know a lot of people like 16 because it's scoreable but i'm looking from a course rating perspective yes that's, always. And that's what i'm and, hoping yeah and yeah. that's my background is that i love i love golf that you have to strategically hit your ball yeah and you got to place it right or you're going to get penalized for it mm-hmm. why like 11 it's not the greenside bunker it's the second bunker because if you get in that bunker and you just miss hit that second shot mm-hmm. Nobody loves a 50-yard bunker shot. It's probably the hardest shot in golf. Yeah. And that's why that is a very well-positioned hole. Because if you you hit it great, awesome. Go get eagle. Mm -hmm. If not, try getting par. (laughs) So I really enjoy that hole. Yeah. Okay. How about your favorite dish at the club? 
dish at the club? Uh, I don't know. Well, the steak Diablo is pretty yeah, good. Yeah, it's pretty good, right? And I know Ashton introduced me to the whole thing on the on the French fries and all that, and that's a mean dish. Let's hear it. Yeah, well, it's basically he created a steak Diablo on top of French fries with the queso sauce. Ooh. And it's a gut buster. Uh, yeah. It's Sounds a gut right. buster, but I'll yeah. give him credit because it's an amazing dish. And um, and who, who are you giving credit to? Ashton. Okay. Yeah, so he's the one who introduced me. I remember I, I was having the steak and he's like, you got to put it on french fries and all this. <laughs> I'm like, all right, dude, you order up for me. So yeah. it was fun. Um, but uh, yeah, that's probably my favorite right now. That's what I love about our club because people will put little twists. Like I started drinking a Rick Davis martini. Okay. I can't tell you what it is, but it's yeah, it's, <laughs> it's good. It's good, yeah, exactly. Uh, how about your favorite vacation spot? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, you know, I went to Europe um, this last summer. I love Europe. I love the culture, and I love that. Um, but, you know, my truly happy place is actually uh, Willamette Valley, Oregon. Um, wine country down there. Well, well, I love my wine. Mm-hmm. Um, Aren't you part owner? Of- I am. Yeah, I'm a member of Lima Valley Vineyards and a share owner. Um, actually, my uncle is one of the founding wine members in the state of Oregon. So if somebody wants to buy a bottle of wine, what's it called? Uh, this winery in particular is called Willamette Valley Vineyards. Um, okay. I'm a part owner from because the, they're, they're a publicly owned company. But my they bought out my uncle's winery, Tualatin Vineyards, back in the 90s. Um, okay. Something that I grew up on. Yeah. Um, and so wine's kind of in my blood. It's in from my family side um, to be able to have that historic part of it. Yeah. Um, actually, just met the CEO of uh, Lima Valley Vineyards the other week. It was a really cool experience, and to talk about my uncle with him that was really cool. Um, but I, I'm, it's just a tranquil place for me. It's I'm, I'm at peace, um, and it's basically my happy place. Okay. Uh, sticking with wine, what's your favorite grape? <laughs> Usually, I would say Mavedra, but uh, Grenache is sneaking up. They're kind of one A, one B now. Okay. So those are two. Uh, anytime I can see that, that's going to be on the top of my list. Gotcha. How about favorite beer? Um, probably a double IPA. Yeah. And favorite brewery, without a doubt, is Crux in Bend, Oregon. Oh, I thought you were going Matchless. No, that's matchless, what we're drinking. Uh, matchless. It is what we're drinking. And for Washington. <laughs> Hands down, yeah. but, but in crux. all beer, Crux, they just, they can't seem to do anything wrong. And when I see it in Costco, uh-huh. grab me some half itch. Yeah. Well, is Crux the one that we went to in Bend Correct. with the beautiful, the, with the, the food trucks? Oh, goodness yes. gracious. After almost dunking ourselves in the, uh, the white water. In the white <laughs> water. After, yes. <laughs> Listeners, check out Crux. Check out Bend, Oregon. That place mm-hmm. is awesome. Mm-hmm. Vacation spot for me. Bend's up there. How about your favorite golfer, Kevin? My favorite golfer, um, if I had to, it's going to be Fred Couples. Okay. Um, I idolized him when I was starting the game. Um, from a young age, um, oddly enough, I never even knew he, when I was young, I didn't even know he was from Seattle. I thought maybe that's why you But it wasn't. But it wasn't. I did not know he was from Seattle because um, when I got in the game in the 90s, that was the peak of Fred Couples' career. Mm. Um, not only just winning the Masters, but he was number one in the world and he was Lonnie Williams. And he's just a hell of a guy. Um, he's so friendly um, and so personable. Um, That's really cool to um, watch that and to see what he's done for golf and and all of the relationships that he's had with even the young guys with Tiger and even younger you know, JT and all of them. I think it's really cool that for him, age didn't matter to him. He just wants to have fun and enjoy that camaraderie with the guys. Um, and it's shown definitely when he's you know been managing the uh, all the cups and stuff. And yeah, it's really it's just cool. To see that, and that had nothing to do with him being part of Seattle. Yeah, but it helps now that you it know. does now that, I do that especially <laughs> knowing that later in life, not knowing that in the beginning. Yeah, uh, would he be in your non-family dream foursome? Yeah, he would be. And the other people, probably Tiger and Jack Nicklaus. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, it's they're basically in my mind the pinnacle of golf. Okay, okay, so like the Mount Rushmore. Yeah, those three and. Arnie? Mm, yeah, probably Arnold Palmer. Yeah. Just because it's not all about golf. It's that the significance they brought to the game. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, those are all old guys. How about current? Who's my favorite currently? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, always been a fan of Jordan Spieth. Um, who else? Um, I mean, it's fun to be able to knowing that the guys from our own club are there. Yeah. Um, I played it with Andrew Pun only once in my life, and it was a long time ago. That was when he just got out of college, and I, I cherish that experience, even though I haven't played with them since. Yeah. But it's cool to see that come up. But I think there's a lot of cool game, you know, people coming up in the game. And yeah. I think Tiger's days are numbered. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, the people like JT and the guys on the Ryder Cup that are younger and the ROMs and that, um, I think they're good people. I think Rory, um, I like Rory. Um, I think okay. what he's done with the whole, whether you like to live golf or not, um, I stand by a man who stands by his own words. Okay. I think that's important in life. Um, and that, you know, he believes what he believes and he's not willing to, to, to hide behind that. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I have a lot of respect for people like that. You mentioned you golfed with some guy at the country club. Uh, who's the best golfer you played with? Was it him? It was. It was, hands down. Andrew was the best I've ever yeah. played. Do you remember uh, what he shot? I don't. It was only nine holes. I okay. It was the back nine. It was such a long time ago. But he killed it. He killed it. He just, <laughs> he was lacing everything. And yeah. uh, I mean, and that's just fun. It's to fun be. to watch. Fun it's to be fun. around. It is fun to be around. That was just a cool experience. But if I had to say the coolest celebrity experience... Um, knowing the two of us are huge. Port- Terry Porter. Terry Porter. You <laughs> knew this. <laughs> I knew Being that one. Big Portland Trailblazer right. fans growing up. Uh, as a junior, I got very lucky to play nine holes with Terry Porter. Yeah. Um, and I just, to see him get the golf ball was incredible. Oh, he could play? He, he was a baller. Yeah. He could play. And it was funny, um, years later when I was with the golf association, I was at a charity event at Waverly Country Club in Portland. Um, which he is a member of, and I was just doing some business, and he had passed by. I'm like, crap, I gotta say something. <laughs> so I quickly, hey Terry, like, hey, I played golf with you nine holes when I was a junior years ago. Um, you don't remember me, but I just want to say that it was an incredible experience. Yeah. Now I'm in the golf business and all that, and we just had a quick thirty seconds. That's awesome. But hey, thirty. Yeah, but I'll say that that was just a really cool moment to kind of see that 20, 30 years later. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, favorite team? Oh, Portland Trailblazers. Portland Trailblazers. I thought you were going to see Beavers. Well, uh, you know, I support the Beavers. I'm a season ticket holder. We're going to a game yeah, here. Yeah, we Utah. are. We're going to a game here soon in Utah. But I support the Beavers wholeheartedly. But if, I, if you start thinking about your whole life, and those mm-hmm. teams that meant something to you and you really cherish. Oh, yeah. It started with the Portland Trailblazers. And mm-hmm. while they haven't had the, quite the success that I wish they've had, and, they've, and all of the hiccups of missed draft picks and everything, uh, yeah. still, I'm a wholehearted fan. Um, yeah. But certainly Oregon State Beavers and the football right team of that are, are right behind them. You have to watch that Bill Walton uh, documentary. Okay. It's pretty good. I'll do that. Uh, what about your life hacker golf tip? You can pick one or do both. Golf tip. I'm a pretty good eye for watching golf swings, and I will admit that even when I do it myself, the number one thing that I see with people is that there's something, golf is a very fluent thing. Mm -hmm. And what I find to struggle with most people, and even myself, is that when you start going haywire, it means that there is some function of your swing that has stopped mid-swing and you're probably not even conscious of it. For myself, is that I can be moving through the balls and for whatever reason, my hands stop and then the head just kind of flips over. Your hands stop? Yeah, so like right when you're about to hit the yeah, ball? Yeah, exactly right. If you've videoed it, and a moment, <laughs> there'll be a moment of time where the hands literally stop, the hands flip over and then the hand keeps going. Why up. do you think you do that? I don't know, but I've seen it in a lot of golf swings. Yeah? And so um, what I know is that just remember when you're swinging a golf course, make, make sure that everything is moving at one piece. Um, yeah. And when you do that, and I know everybody's flexibility is when you get older, it gets tougher. Yeah. But I, what I know is that if you can keep things in motion, you're going to hit the golf ball better. Okay. Um, what's in your bag? Let's go from driver to putter. All right. Um, driver, old school tailor-made M2. 
That's uh, not that old. That's nah, old enough to say that. Uh, <laughs> shout out to Leif because we both have the same driver. All right. And we've gotten a lot of shit for having it like a five-year-old driver. But you know what? If it if it's not broken, don't fix yeah. it. Yeah. What are you hitting it? Like 240? Uh, no. I can get a 260. Yeah, okay. That's what I'm yeah, hoping. So, but it works. It yeah. works. Hey. Then um, I have M2 three woods and, and five woods, uh, tailor made. And then I have a Strixon ZX5 four driving iron, which is a little unique. That's um, if you go to Scamania Lodge. Yeah, you go. <laughs> um, and then my irons from five through gap are um, uh, Mizuno's. Um, now the name's uh, 250s or 205s. Um, and then from my sand and my gap wedge are uh, Cleveland wedges. Uh, zip core, I forgot the number. And then putter, I give you nuts. I, 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 I've got the Kirkland Costco putter. Yeah. And I bought the weight kit and it's the best putter I've ever had. What's, um, a, what's a weight kit? So it allows you to add to change the weights on the bottom. So typically it depends on the grams you want underneath for different weight variances. If you buy the Costco putter, it has 15 grams on the bottom, but you can buy the weight kit, which allows you to swap out for 10s or 20s. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted more weight at the bottom, so I put the 20s in and it's, it's a perfect flow for me. And you've seen me putt, I can make, <laughs> I, can, I can knock them in. And yeah. um, does it challenge the Camerons? Sure, I mean, Scotty Camerons are great putters, but I think for value and what it provides, it is a damn good putter. They look a lot like Scotty's. They do. Yeah. And I have no qualms of calling it a Costco putter. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> Anything strange in your bag? Strange in Like, bag. I carry Sour Patch Kids. Don't have that. No, yeah. Well, what, do no. you have anything like no. a ball marker that's weird? Anything? No, I just got tees and balls. I mean, my bag is orange and black. It says Oregon State. Okay. But some people give me crap, and some people are like, hey, go for it, considering everything has happened. Go pack two. I'll, hey. Pack two. Go pack two. And yeah. you know what? I mean, the Cougs and us got a big game this weekend. It's a big one. I, you know, you know, I was just chatting with a friend of Cougs, you know, Mark and Bergman. You know, we were just betting here, but. The reality is, is that we're all in this together. And yeah. for all the other kooks out there, I think we all have some camaraderie in all of this because mm -hmm. what's happened in this conference is a sham and a shame. Yeah, it is. Um, and so I, all I care for this weekend is that let's just bring it mm -hmm. and let's just have a damn good game and who are, regardless who wins. Yeah, 100%. Uh, last one, your favorite quote or a song lyric? Favorite quote or a song lyric? I don't know if I got one. <laughs> That's a good one. I, I don't know. No song lyrics. Um, well, how about this then for the last one? Your favorite movie of all time. That's an easy one. Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> Isn't there a good quote in there somewhere? I'm sure there is. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, don't, I know you're not going to go that deep. Yeah, yeah. Shawshank Redemption is number one. It will always be number one. It's the greatest plot in a movie ever. Greatest plot? In I a would, movie. It's just a great plot because the story never gets boring. Uh -huh. There's always an angle in that story, and it's a it's a it's a story of redemption. Yeah, um, and I think that's meaningful in life. And um, you know, Tim Robbins didn't do a whole lot of movie, but <laughs> Bull Durham was good. I'll give you Bull Durham is one of my favorite sports comedies. But uh, yeah. Shawshank Redemption with Morgan Freeman, all that you can't get any better. Huh? Thanks for uh, spending some time with me, KJ. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Look up for new episodes where we talk to members and staff about TCGC, the Tacoma Country and Golf Club podcast, inspiring stories from the club since 1894.